This is MuggleCast, episode 11, for October 16th, 2005. If you haven't finished reading book 6 yet, then you probably do not want to listen to this podcast, as we do talk about several different spoilers. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 11 of MuggleCast. This is the show where we bring you the latest news, theories, discussion, cooking recipes, anything you can imagine relating to Harry Potter, right here on the show. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Kevin Steck. I'm Eric Skull. And with a fully functioning headset this week, I'm Laura Thompson. Uh, you sound so much clearer. Oh, thank she you. Does. I know. <laughs> it's great. <Aww>. Before we <laughs> move on, it's on another episode of MuggleCast without Mike your first updating us on the past week's top news stories. Alright, Andrew, on Friday, Goblet of Fire tickets went on sale at Fandango.com and MoviePhone.com. If you haven't already, make sure you purchase your tickets as soon as possible. Additionally, earlier this week, Apple released the Goblet of Fire theatrical and teaser trailers in high definition. As always, we have plenty of movie clips, pictures, interviews, poster, and calendar scans over on MuggleNet's main page. A lengthy and detailed 51-page document on the actors and actresses starring in Goblet of Fire has hit WB's publicity website. Of particular interest were comments on Mad-Eye Moody and the scene involving the Hungarian Horntail. Wrapping up the movie news on October 16th, HBO Asia will broadcast the third Harry Potter film, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. They have announced that they will be showing an exclusive sneak peek at the fourth movie, as well as giving away two tickets for the world premiere of Goblet of Fire in London. On Tuesday night, J.K. Rowling picked up two awards at the first annual Quill Awards. The latest installment in the Harry Potter series earned her the accolades for both Book of the Year and children's chapter book, Middle Grade. She was quoted as saying, I am still not used to the idea that so many people across the world are intimately familiar with the characters who, for so long, I alone knew. Awards like this, where readers themselves vote, are therefore especially meaningful to me. You can watch the awards October 22nd on NBC. Finally, one of the men involved in the robbery of two copies of Half-Blood Prince last June, Aaron Lambert, 20, appeared before Northampton Crown Court on Monday. He has admitted to theft and possession of an imitation gun and is being held in custody. Well, pal, I have a feeling you'll have plenty of time to read Half-Blood Prince now. That's all the news from our news center in New York for this October 16th, 2005 edition of MuggleCast. Back to you guys. Alright, thanks, Micah. Well, uh, guys, we have a big show for... Uh, uh, Micah? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh... uh are um, you supposed to be here this week on the show? I mean, we didn't have you scheduled in or anything, but... Well, uh, I came up for a breath of fresh air from the transcript dungeon, so I figured uh, I'd stop <laughs> in and see how things were going. Oh, oh, okay. Well, well, welcome, Micah, everybody, to this week's show. He'll be joining us this week, I guess. Do, uh, can, you, can you handle it, Michael? Uh, Micah? <laughs> <laughs> I think I can handle it. Well, we have a lot to discuss this week. There's so much to cover. So many new pictures. If only we could go through each one. First of all, let's get through a couple announcements. Um, ben isn't here this week with us. Dead silence. That pretty and much explains it. Moving on. Darn. Yeah. There was rejoicing in the streets. No, I, I love Ben. Well, before we move on to our main discussion, um, at first I want to talk to you guys about helping us out in the ratings. Now, as you know, we're on iTunes, which we really can't control how high up on the list we are, unless we have subscribers. But um, 
Podcast Alley. I know most of you have heard of it. We have a link to it on MongoCast.com. We ask that once a month, just vote for us. All you got to do is click on the link on MongoCast.com. It says vote for us on Podcast Alley. Click on that, insert your email, then uh, confirm your email with them, and then it'll count as a vote for us. And we like being high up on that list in the top ten. I'm sure we can make it to number one. It makes so, sense. Uh, yeah, just do it once a month because they reset the votes each month. So it's like a whole new contest every month. It's kind of strange. but And also, Yahoo premiered their brand new podcasting service, which is a lot like iTunes, only it has a... Uh, you can submit your own user reviews and rate the shows. Um, and for those of you who might have noticed, our our podcast tags got a little spammed with some... Uh, Inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, it, it's happening on other podcast listings, too, just not ours. Clearly, Yahoo really didn't think that whole thing through. So if you could just give us a vote over there, get some of the rankings, show how much you love us, that'd be really great. Yeah, and, um, so just do it to, once a month. Yeah. Also, try to add tags that are relevant to our podcast to yeah. outweigh those which have been spammed. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, I like uh, Yahoo's. I think it's a lot better than iTunes because it's a lot more interactive, but it has its weaknesses it's a little like too, that tag. Too far with the interactivity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we put a complaint into Yahoo, and we don't want to yeah. send you guys out after them until, well, We're sure they're we probably will. <laughs> well, tomorrow. It's not yet. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. If you don't respond by tomorrow, Yahoo, you're getting a lot of emails. They are dead. <laughs> Eric, contest update. Contest is now closed. We have, we've already announced the winners. Yes, as promised, the list was up at the release of episode 10. Um, so it was, overall, it was a really good contest. Um, we really enjoyed reading the entries and hopefully everybody enjoyed voting on them and seeing the final list, which is up on MuggleNet now. Uh, also, as promised, we have to announce the top three winners right here on MuggleCast right now. You guys cool with that? Sounds good. Cool. In third place, we have Tim Tugentut whose entry was, um, in, in order to kill Lord Voldemort once he was mortal, uh, the entry that won was uh, to play tug-of-war with him uh, with the veil in the middle and let Grop pull on your side. <laughs> dead, sil- <laughs> dead silence. You guys suck. All right. uh, um, no, that works, what we just no, had. Yeah, once again, these, uh, these were voted on, and the... Uh, Top top few really won by by a lot of votes, so it was, oh. it was pretty steady. Um, now, yes, so okay. second place. Well, Tim has won a house scarf of oh. uh, his choosing um, from the Olive store. I am not sure yet. I I was talking with oh. him. He was he was indecisive. Oh, okay. But um, anyway, uh, once again, this contest is uh, co-sponsored by. Olivans and all our prizes are coming from Olivans. So, uh, in second place, we have Moldy Crow. They chose to be credited as Moldy Crow, um, whose entry, whose winning winning entry was uh, to put Voldemort on a blind date with Umbridge. Oh, that'd be pretty nasty. That would do that anyone would in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it would. What's yes, wrong with Umbridge? Okay. <laughs> okay, well, uh, <laughs> well, Micah, no, there's nothing wrong with Umbridge, but um, moving on. 
okay, and in first place, the winner, um, Kristen Atkins, uh, has won, and her entry was... Well, due to the nature of it, uh, why don't you take it away, Micah? Uh, can you read Kristen's uh, winning entry? Sure. Newsflash. He who must not be named was found smothered under a buffalo yesterday. Apparently Voldemort, yes, since he's dead, we'll name him, was a bit lax on his spell pronunciations, and like the wizard Barufio, said S instead of F, and found himself on the floor with a buffalo on his chest. However, since Voldemort was not found for seven days, he suffocated. The buffalo is now being hailed as the beast who sat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was <clears throat> And that one received 2,294 votes. That is entirely correct, Andrew. And the total, yeah, and the total number of votes we received was fourteen thousand one hundred sixty-three. It's only a fraction of our listener base, but but it's pretty darn good. And yes, big and also out. one one final part of this contest announcement: uh, Kristen Atkins will be on the show as a guest uh, co-host. Uh, next person week. next week or more girls show, yeah. it will be next <laughs> week yeah more girls so that's she is actually um we'll I take over a school t- and she is actually i believe a, a school teacher <laughs> oh that's cool um by the way oh really so that's gonna oh, be interesting geez. i think she teaches uh the middle school grades possibly sixth um yeah very nice very nice cool beans and what did she win did you already say that oh uh she did win a limited edition uh Powdak wand, Michael Broly design from Olivans, and you. And also, um, I forgot to mention Moldy Crow uh, in second place. We have not heard from you. Um, I did contact you using Voldemort at staff.mugglenet.com. If you could check your email and get back to us, otherwise we have to shift the prizes down, and the fourth place winner will win something. Um, and okay. That, Th- that will he be just said okay. <laughs> I love that voice. Um and that that will be done uh later. But yeah, the third place and fourth place were actually rather close. It was like eleven vote difference. Oh, wow. So Yeah, it was it was tight, but uh that's it. So fourth place winner, keep an eye on your email because you might just win. Might Not just sure. And also one last final update on the New York City our big event in New York City, the live po- uh podcast with uh Pottercast and Mogonet. Combined to create Pugglecast. <laughs> now standing by so much Mugglecast plus Pottercast equals Potter Pugglecast. We're actually having a hard time thinking up a, a name for the show. A lot of people suggested the leaky mug. The leaky, leaky mug. mug. That's it clever. Is. A, a, a leaky mug. <laughs> the leaky mugcast. <laughs> we leak with, with drip, <laughs> terrible we drip, jokes. We drip Potter ounces. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. <laughs> Mix this with your potter. morning. I will come up. Joe. No, I will come up with this. This will. Uh, I, I'm going to think of something by the end of the show. All right. Yeah. So if you have an RSVP right now, you can send in your reservations to show up at the show to hplive at gmail dot com. Now, just because you RSVP doesn't guarantee you a spot, because we have at least oh, I'd say like 500 people. Yeah. <laughs> reserved for the show and it's funny because um the the um uh, the room that we're going to be in can only hold 200 to 300 so you'll want to get there early there's going to be there's going to be 200 to 300 seats we're going to pack in as many people as possible without violating any fire regulations but it's really going to be a great time 
and we'll be more than happy to meet everyone afterwards. Yeah. And, um, that's it. We'll keep providing updates on the stuff. I know a lot of you have been asking whether, um, exact times for the show and, um, you know, just reserving spots, but, um, there's just, there, we got one reservation with a group of 15 people. <laughs> so, wow. wow. Yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be packed. So I, but it, our, the plan is that our feed is going to be going through the entire store. So you can stand right. right up front and we'll be more than happy to meet everyone. Everyone. Yes. Yeah. And um, I didn't tell anyone yet, but the entry fee is $30. You can give that to me at the door. <laughs> and, um, and they're I'll all going to no sign Andrew, autographs you'll for you. Andrew, you'll be setting up the cast. Just I, kidding. No I'll entry fee. Uh, just to clear. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No entry fee. But, um, no entry can fee. Can I clear up that I will be joke. there, too? Okay. Yeah. yeah Eric's going to be there. Oh, you are I'll be there. Kevin will be there. I'll be there. Michael will be there. Oh, yeah. I will. Laura won't be there. I'll be there. Why not? <laughs> um, I'm poor. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, for those of you who want to give Laura money to come up, yeah, no, we can pull the, that we, should we be your listener pull... challenge this week. <laughs> Send Laura money so she can go to New York. We can pull the MuggleNet funds, can't we? That would be so cool. <laughs> we don't have MuggleNet. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's right. We're yeah, we poor. work at McDonald's. <laughs> they all money. go back into the uh, the server and stuff. Right. Okay, so this week's main discussion is Draco Malfoy. All about Draco Malfoy. Whatever you can think of is Draco Malfoy. We're going to be covering lots of things. Um, Eric, you have one topic we want to start off with first. He's a very, huh? very interesting <laughs> oh, character. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, okay. No, no, I was... You're keeping that in. I was yeah, leave it in, leave it in. I was giving an example of what we could talk about about Draco, but... um. Yeah, no, these character discussions are good because then we can talk about all six books at once. Um, but actually, Micah had a favorite editorial of his on, on MuggleNet that he wanted to bring up. Uh, would you like to discuss that, Micah? Sure. Basically, what it was about was Draco being a werewolf as opposed to him. Well, he's still working for Lord Voldemort, but kind of under the guise of being a werewolf. And what he showed Borgen in the shop was actually a werewolf bite as opposed to the Dark Mark. I didn't know what you guys thought about that. It was a pretty interesting editorial. Now, why, why would why would someone think it was a werewolf bite? Well, the person in this editorial argued it because he uses the name Fenrir Greyback when he threatens Borgen. And isn't that kind of an odd name to use out of nowhere to threaten Borgen? He could have used Voldemort. Well, that is a good point, seeing as we do know that Greyback uh, likes to go after children and adolescents, so it is a valid yeah, point. Yeah, but do you think he would go after a honestly, kid of a Honestly, honestly, I eater? think it was the death mark. Dark mark. I do, too. Death mark. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Lori right. just woke up, everyone. <laughs> um... <laughs> I, I do think it was the dark mark, honestly, but I do think that is a very valid point, and I do think it probably made for an interesting editorial. So, well, I I know that uh, in the past they had said he was a something different than human. Like I think I've heard vampire before because of his composure, how they explain his skin and how he looks. You know, much like Snape and uh, the fellow Death Eaters, they tend to say they look almost um, 
withdrawn, dead, stuff like that. Right, and in this editorial, I think it was a girl. We have to maybe get her name. If you have it, Eric, do you have it? Harry Seeker. Harry Seeker, yes. Okay, so... It's not like a name, but it is Harry Seeker. Um, She actually compares a lot of quotes between Malfoy in Half-Blood Prince and Lupin in previous books, and how the same kind of character traits are used to describe both of them. Such as Shadows Under the Eyes. Right. I like it. I like the editorial as a whole. I think it uh, presents its case clearly um, with the dark shadows beneath the eyes and stuff, uh, which was taken from the scene where Harry finds him in the bathroom in Half-Blood Prince. Um, However, I think that the shadows under his eyes and and him looking ill and and stuff that's quoted in this editorial, I think that was more due to the fact that he was under a tremendous amount of pressure uh, to go after Dumbledore or whatever uh, Voldemort's assignment for him was. So even though he does look ill um, and does have shadows under his eyes, I think it's more because he's under pressure than as a werewolf. But still, this this was an interesting editorial. Well, okay. Do you guys think he's evil? Oh, that's a yeah. good question. <laughs> I think he uh, he's unsure of himself. He he's grown into a role that isn't who he really is, mm-hmm. and he is sort of realizing now that he's older that he uh, has a choice. And I think that was best shown mm-hmm. at the end of book six when he was. Um, being spoken to by Dumbledore, and he was very yeah. unsure. Well, of that himself. was the theme, I think, in Half Blood Prince. Yeah, where he's changing, and now he's def- he's he's got to be evil. Just look at him now. Look at the position he's in now. He can't get out of it. I think Draco. I don't think that he is a good person. I don't think that he has the same type of morals that someone like Harry would have. But like Dumbledore said, I don't think he's a killer. Every day, we're always saying, oh, I'm going to kill this person because they make us so mad. But if you were actually faced with it, you know, faced with the one person that you hate so much, would you actually be able to do it? I mean, nine times out of ten, it'd be no. So definitely. I, I think nice, that, yeah. I think Draco's <laughs> definitely, he's, if you compare him to people in the 1950s and such, people who were racist do you th- most of the time these people weren't able to run out and kill people they just sat at home and were bigots which is what i think draco is laura that's really good but but Thank don't you. you think he's sort of been forced into that i mean the yeah, yeah he, i do the fact that he has he doesn't have the same morals that as harry comes from the fact that he grew up in a family that taught him that I think that Draco is very power-hungry, and when he was handed this opportunity, he bit off way more than he could chew. He didn't know what he was getting himself into, and I don't think he really oh, started completely. to realize it until until he got back to Hogwarts, and he started, and he tried to, you could tell, because every time he tried to, when he tried to poison Dumbledore, that was just lame. The chances of Dumbledore actually yeah. getting that, I mean... That was between Slim and Nun. So you know that he was losing his steam, and it really I don't think he, he really had it in him to do it. Yeah, Draco, um, I like what you said about him, and I think so too. I think uh, all throughout Half-Blood Prince he's been faced with things that he's finding that he cannot do. And is he a good person like Harry? Of course not, but 
Um, I still think he's... I truly believe that in Book 7 he's going to play a, a good, good part, or at least start respecting Harry a little bit more, um, because his father is gone, and one thing I wanted to point out was Voldemort gets his followers to do what they want because... Uh, based on power. And and Dumbledore... See, you need to be very good at what you do for Voldemort to be pleased with you as his servant. You need to be effective. You need to have power. And Draco is finding now that he is not uh, that powerful, and he's displeasing Voldemort, and he's probably fearing for his life. And the thing with the good side, and I think the thing that appealed to him most when Dumbledore was talking uh, to him, was that you don't need to have a specific um, you know, amount of skill to be on the good side. You just need to hold the belief in, in the wizard kind, and you need to you know, think good in a way. You don't actually have to be powerful. You need to have that faith, basically. You, you have to, yeah. And yes, he was raised um, to be bad, but... And clearly Draco's ignorant, too, because um, in Spinner's End, in Chapter 2 of Book 6, Narcissa has to go and tell Snape about how uh, the Dark Lord's only using him to get back at Lucius and stuff like that. And all this stuff is happening over Draco's head, and I just think um, think he's really really gotten himself... That's an interesting point. Do you think that he wants to do it, or do you think that he feels a necessity to do it because his parents may be threatened in some way? Maybe threatened or maybe made made threats. What do you- I don't think they've been threatened, his parents at no, all. Because um, that would be um, that that would be the wrong move for any leader to do, <laughs> to threaten the family the who yeah. is following you, in order to get the kid to do something. But I think that he's been threatened before with his own life, whether he would be able to accomplish it or not. Sort of like. If you don't get this done, then something will happen to you. And I think that's why uh, his his parents were so concerned, like Narcissa and stuff, um, because she knew that if Voldemort decided to kill him, she could do nothing. She would have to watch. And he was being treated as an adult wizard in Voldemort's eyes, and he was responsible for what he did, and she saw him as her son, who was not an adult yet, and walking into something he couldn't handle. Biting off more I than he could chew. Sorry. Uh, I think it really might be a little bit of both, just because Draco's been brought up this way, he feels like he has this obligation to fulfill what Voldemort has asked him to do and now that he actually gets there and he's starting to have doubts I mean that's a pretty big internal struggle to be brought up this way to be brought up hating anyone who wasn't pure blood hating anyone who who accepted muggle-borns and half-bloods into their school and then be able to get there and not not be able to do anything even when that person was at their most defenseless so that I mean, I honestly did feel sorry for Draco during Half Blood Prince because you see that he's growing up a lot in the same way Harry is, obviously in different directions. Um, Harry's finally accepting his role as the chosen one, and then you see Draco having doubts and seeing that he has other options, but he's been brought up thinking that he's not allowed to take and those. And he's almost so. trapped. I mean, he's yeah. 
He's between a rock and a hard spot. Yeah, yeah. He, he is trapped. Do you think that Draco has a chance of getting out, or do you think he's just going to be stuck? I really don't know. Honestly, I could... I can't really see Draco coming... And this just might be my own personal opinion that I wouldn't really like to see this happen, but Draco coming and becoming best friends with Harry and helping him kill Voldemort. And I really couldn't see that happening. Um, I could see Draco helping Harry, but not directly. Like, something he does ends up in Harry's favor. Purposely or I like that. inadvertently? Uh, it, it, it could be totally inadvertently, I think. What I want to happen now, I kind of wanted to mention about, um, I think a threat to Draco's own life would probably uh, appeal to him, um, or, or like be more effective than a threat to his family, just because Draco does like being alone, and you know we've seen him venture off in Diagon Alley and stuff. He likes doing his own stuff and being he likes being responsible for his own actions. He just can't handle it. Um, but as for him in the inner circle or whatever of Voldemort doing something in favor of Harry, I think I like this idea that. Um, there are people in Voldemort's inner circle who have questionable, like, I would say loyalty, because Voldemort doesn't, like, there's Pettigrew, there's Peter Pettigrew, who, it's been said before in the books, has um, wavering loyalty, and, and he'll shackle up to anybody who's stronger. And also, he has this life debt with, with Harry or whatever um, for letting him live, so... I'm thinking Wormtail might be... I, I'm trying to see a society within the Death Eaters that is actually not necessarily good, but if the time came, would they be able to do something that might help Harry uh, destroy Voldemort? I believe Snape might be in that circle. And it, Well, Draco. I think that a lot of the Death Eaters followed um, Voldemort originally because he was the most powerful. So... If something happens to sway that scale, I mean, right now, Dumble with Dumbledore dead, I'm sure they're thinking that they chose the right side. But if something happens to Harry, and I've gotten a voicemail, quite a few voicemails regarding this, um, if a lot of people view Harry currently as not powerful enough to defeat Voldemort by himself, and I agree, he hasn't. I mean, he's he's shown quite a bit of talent, but. Compared to the fight they had in the end of Order of the Phoenix, um, Voldemort and Dumbledore, Harry is nowhere near that stage. Oh, and the uh, the ra the weird language that Dumbledore was speaking, and he doesn't exactly. know anything. He's of very. That. It wasn't even currently, mentioned. Currently, I mean, he's almost ignorant compared to the level of Dumbledore and Voldemort. But if something changes to sway that scale, where Harry starts learning by himself and starts picking up these um, these skills that are required to defeat to defeat Voldemort then I would like to see how the Death Eaters are going to react because they're going to start seeing wait a sec now the person who is fated to well they don't know he's fated not everyone but um, the person who's known to be the only person who's going to be able to fight Voldemort which is Harry Potter is suddenly becoming powerful if not more powerful than Dumbledore was. 
now what are we doing? Yeah, and I think... You know, sort of questioning yeah. their loyalty due to the fact that Voldemort isn't on top anymore. And I think that's what happened to uh, Draco. He saw Voldemort in such a great light, thinking he was a hero to him because he was so evil and stuff like that. But when he actually got into his inner circle, he realized that it wasn't as good as they made it out to be. Also, with the Death Eaters, I, it's not, I'm trying to call it... I guess a lack of love, because if you realize Voldemort doesn't love his followers, and he just does, you know, and um, he just does, he likes them for their power, so, and it's not that the Death Eaters need love, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody needs love, but one of the reasons, like, Sirius believed that Regulus or, well, Sirius Black told us that, or told Harry that his whole family um, thought Voldemort had the right idea. And, you know, you know, they weren't into as much cruelty and torture as Voldemort was, because obviously Voldemort has a, a twisted, messed up soul. But I think w the thing that distinguishes the Death Eaters is their ability to hate, but also their ability to do something about it. And the Death Eaters do have a kind of, you know, course of action, so they are, they are in a sense, worse people than, you know, the good side. They aren't just, you know, in Voldemort be because he's powerful, they also do truly like hate some people and and have the ability to make things happen but um unlike Dumbledore I wanted to say that that Voldemort does not love his followers and I think that will be a you know you know severe issue because if they're not respected and not trusted I think eventually they might overthrow him or That's a yeah. really really good point and relating to that I think that Voldemort has gotten a lot of the people who were just sitting at home and saying, you know, I like that ideal, but were too cowardly to go out and actually prove that they liked that. Um, I think he's gotten a lot of those people involved because they think that Voldemort's now the most powerful wizard out there, and they think, oh, well, now that he's got control, I might not have to do so much killing. I'm not going to have to go out there and fight so much because he's got so, he's got the upper hand. But what's going to happen now that things are starting to waver, you know? Then they're all going to be brought into... It's it's the perfect... I, I think it's the perfect Nazi allegory. They're the it perfect is. Nazi parallel. The parallel. Um... Because you have the people who are in it. Basically, the Nazism was, at least how I understand it, was a window for hate. It was the opportunity to hate. They channeled Hitler and the, the Nazis, channeled uh, common citizens' hate, and turned it against uh, people. Turned it against the Jews and, and everybody. It's what happens when you let bullies get into power, basically. Sadly. One last question, and then we'll wrap it up. What would have happened if Draco made friends with Harry in book one. Do you would, mean... Would, have been, would it have been a which, completely which different ballgame? By which way? Do you mean Harry making friends with Draco, like taking his offer to um, become friends? Right, or that, Draco making that moment right there. Would yeah, it have well, been then, a whole different ballgame? Would I Harry have so, gone absolutely. evil, or would have Draco gone nice? Well, mm. the whole fact of that... that point was that Harry had a choice to choose between someone who was obviously good, which was um, Hermione and Ron and stuff like that, and someone who's bad, who was Draco. He knew Draco was bad. So I think that if Harry had made the choice to join you know, Draco, he it would have been showing something about Harry that Harry was choosing someone he knew was bad over someone he knew was good. But then there's right, and actually, it was like one of goes... those turning point moments where she, J.K. Rowling was just trying to show you 
the um, personality of the person of her hero, you know. Yeah, and I, I think it goes a little bit before he even knew Ron and Hermione, because if you remember in Madame Malkin's shop when he first met Draco, clearly, I, I don't think they could have been friends because clearly they're two completely different people, and I think that's really the point is how different they are and how they were completely brought up. If you notice, like, when he's talking about Hagrid and stuff, you know, Draco views him as a, a servant, and, you know, I, I hear he has, like, a savage, you know, with a, with a hut, you know, on, on the ground. So, you know, clearly they've, they've been brought up completely differently, and even before he met Ron on the train, um, he was, he still was not interested, um, or still not, he, he was not pleased or very happy with the, the type of boy that Draco was hating people. And I think it really emphasizes Harry's built-in love and, and built-in, you know, care because he loves Hagrid. And he, I believe the, the uh, exact quote or something was, I think he's brilliant in talking to Hagrid. And Draco simply could not see that at that point. And I don't think he ever will. But I'm saying, will he start respecting it? as like another person's viewpoint will he turn good yeah but that that goes back to what i was saying if if harry had made the choice to join draco i think it would have shown that harry wasn't such a good person <laughs> and uh, if the story <laughs> I if the story bit. had continued i think that it would have been that harry wasn't all that great but yeah, I, it, I don't really see him it's i hypothetical. i really don't think... it's there's no real way to to know, but I really don't think that Harry and Draco could be friends. I think, hypothetically speaking, if you look at them, Draco is far more impressionable than Harry is, because I don't care that Draco has Crab and Goyle like tagging along behind his every step. Draco is a follower, majorly, and I think you have people who have been brought up a certain way, and they are able to overcome certain ideals and such that their parents pounded into their heads. Uh, I really think that, hypothetically speaking, if they were to become friends, Draco would be the one who would be more likely to have um, a better impression put upon him. Yeah, I'd, I don't necessarily see uh, Harry going over to Draco and basically following in the footsteps of, of somebody whose parents are so loyal to Voldemort when Voldemort was responsible for both the Potters' deaths. You know what I mean? Exactly. You know, Micah, that's just Micah, that's just it. I think Harry is an oppressed person in a way that he has had his family murdered. He is he has put up with eleven years of of utter crap and utter health from the Dursleys, and every year he goes back, and that is all due to Voldemort, this person that Draco's following. So because Voldemort has had such a, a you know, and because this hate has had such a profound impact on his early life and has changed his life so drastically, I don't think it's possible that Harry can sensibly, you know. Right. So then, turn the reason off. that J.K. Rowling included this in the book was just so that she could show Harry's what, personality yeah. and his motives. It's an early turning right. point. Yeah. I mean, it's not too far after that that he chooses to be in Gryffindor. So it's kind of along the same lines of choices. Yeah. Well, I think we beat that one to death. Yeah. So there is Draco Malfoy. We have all cadavered it. That's funny. Jeez, that was pretty bad. Yeah, 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 I know. HP dork joke. All the HP dorks are laughing. Wow, you just coined a term that's going to be used for years and years. 
Oh wow. Wait, what did Lars say? said, we have on cadavered it. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Um, unless it has no, Laura. That's unless it has a horcrux. Oh. Okay. Okay. Uh, and you bombed. Sorry. There's a whole new twist. Yeah, that was bad. Let's There's not. a whole new twist now. <laughs> you bombed. Mobile now moving cast on. Is a horcrux. <laughs> now. <laughs> okay. Now moving along, we have. Let's get to our weekly segments that we bring to you. All the time here on MuggleCast. Every week. Every week. <laughs> you could say that. Hence weekly. <laughs> no spy on... Or, no, excuse me. No Jamie's British joke of the day this week because Jamie's not here. The reason he hasn't been on recent episodes is because he is off at school He's once very again. ill. He's very ill and... <laughs> He's got schoolositis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... So he has to do some work. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't seen him around much, but he has a hard time flying out here um, when he's back in school. So we'll we'll get him back on next week, maybe. I don't know. He really likes doing it, though. So he does. Yeah. And then also spy on Sparts. A disappointing loss. Uh, a disappointing loss last week for Notre Dame, and uh, for that exact reason, Emerson is in a bad mood today. Yeah. <laughs> Did I'm anyone just... see the game? Wow. It was I'm easy. just not really even gonna bother IMing him. I'm just gonna leave him alone. <laughs> Go I Irish! <laughs> I don't want to die today. <laughs> um. So that pretty much sums up Spy on Sparts. <laughs> now for Andrew's listeners challenge. Last week, we asked you where should Ben and I podcast from up in New York City. We're gonna be there, and we're gonna be podcasting from as many places as we can by setting new standards and records in podcasting. Um, let me just go through a couple of the submissions that we're sending right now. Many people, among them Drew, Tim, Danielle, and Hannah, all said we should do go from the top of the Empire State Building, which we will be doing because we are allowed to bring up recording devices. It's only 1350 to get up there. So we're going to be doing that. Um, uh, middle of Times Square, that was sent in by a couple people. Uh, this one I really like. We should look into this. Uh, Melissa and Ellie's uh, family mob meeting. That was sent in by Sam. <laughs> I'd really like to report from there. Then also, uh, Carrie suggested we show up at the Today Show. Uh, Victoria said we should go from uh, Macy's, or near University. Uh, Greg said we should podcast from Trump Tower or Yankee Stadium. I'm a big fan, fan of Trump, so I think... And I know Trump Tower's open to the public. So. I've been to Trump Tower. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, Trump Tower's awesome. So we'll probably go in there. They have those science Maybe we exhibits. Can interview the Donald. Just run up the stairs. Avoid all security. Uh, a Ferris wheel in Toys R Us, or the taxi, or a taxi, or maybe the Hans Christian Andersen statue in Central Park. That was sent in by Hannah. The AHS band emailed us. It's a group of kids, so I had to put them in there. They suggested KFC, New York Metro System, Lewiston Stadium, Statue of Liberty, of course, uh, Radio City, Central Park. They'd also like to thank Mr. Nichols, their band teacher, for letting them use his laptop early in the morning. Um, that is from Casey, Joe, Beatbox, Cube, Sam, Candy, Stephanie, and Lacey. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Some Nichols. sweet names. That was very nice of you. Yeah. <laughs> you share because you care. So, keep... Um, you can keep sending in your ideas to challenge at staff, and then we also, uh, my remix challenge was filled with three or four. We're going to air 
I th- one or two of those at the end of the show, um, and then we'll air more next week. Um, so basically a remix to make me dance that we could stick at the end of the show. <laughs> you can still continue to create them yourselves with using quotes from our show and hot dance beats by um, uh, making them with whatever audio editing program you have and then sending those into challenge at staff. Then also Ben's Ben's request was to draw a picture of me and him podcasting from a bathroom in Barnes and Noble. And I'm sorry to say that we got three or four people a day who did send those in. <laughs> and I'll be posting those up with a link in the show notes. Well, if we do get a uh, wireless mic, we could just walk in there during the uh, main podcast. Ah, no thank and you. <laughs> interview some people. <laughs> yeah. So you can check all those out in the show notes. There's a link there. Um, and then this <laughs> week's challenge. Are you ready for this? It is. I'm giving you a week, week, week ahead. It's not it's not a hard challenge. I think most people could fulfill it. Halloween is right around the corner, so you can either this is my challenge to you, the listener. You can either dress up as one of us. <laughs> oh cool. Oh, or dre- Laura, you wanna do it? <laughs> or dress <laughs> Laura, you wanna dress up as Laura? <laughs> I'm gonna no. dress up as Andrew. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna dress up as Eric. <laughs> Or you can dress up as a Harry Potter character and then send those send your pictures in to challenge at staff. Now, of course, you don't have to send them in until Halloween or afterwards. No big rush. But we'd like to see if people come up with... If you yeah. dress up as one of us, I'll... And take a picture of it. How do you... I'm sorry that I ruined your entire Halloween. Because oh <laughs> nobody's going to know who you are. It's like a look-alike contest, but with us, so... Right. So that's it for the challenge this week. Uh, <laughs> this tune in next week bad. for another exciting edition of Andrew's Listen wow. Challenge. Spy on Sparts, possibly Jamie's British Joke of the Day, Hopefully. and maybe more. <laughs> We're going to have a whole army of Bens marching down the street <laughs> on Halloween. <laughs> oh, man. That would... <laughs> All right, Talk now let's scary. move on. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to our final segment, which is... Voicemails. What else? The voicemails, yeah. <laughs> Da-da-da. Let's take this first one right <gasps> now. Hi, I'm Zena, a 41-year-old MuggleCast fan. I have a question about the chapter called The Cave in Half-Blood Prince. What do you think that Dumbledore is seeing when he's drinking the potion to get to the Horcrux? It seems like he's seeing something or reliving something. He says things like, it's all my fault, and I know I did wrong, and don't hurt them, hurt me instead. And finally, no, not that. I'll do anything. I want to die. Do you think he is seeing his students being harmed? Was that Dumbledore's greatest fear? Oh, good question. It is a good question. That is. What does Dumbledore fear? What could Dumbledore fear? Yeah, that's... I I think she (laughs) was right on with her uh, guess. I think that his fear would be either him somehow helping Voldemort or him putting his students in harm's way. Yeah, I I think the Voldemort suggestion is more likely because... Maybe I'm wrong, but I seem to remember him saying, like, let me die, let it end. And I don't think if his students were in harm's way, he'd want to die. I yeah, think he'd want to help he'd them. He'd want to defend them, right? Yeah. It's a very good question. Yeah, I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, what would Dumbledore figure? I, I guess it's because she wouldn't tell us 
Remember in book one when he said, uh, when Harry asked him what he sees when he looks in the mirror of Arised and he wouldn't answer, he said socks? Yeah. And he didn't know if that's true. I think it goes goes hand in hand with that. I still think there's something, a part of Dumbledore that has to be revealed even after book six as far as did he ever because i mean whenever harry asked him about snape he was dead serious like dead certain like if there was one thing uh, dumbledore was sure about it's that snape was loyal but you really wonder if he ever ever actually did question that and you know among himself if he just didn't share it with harry but you wonder if he he questioned loyalty and i wonder if that might be what he's fearing uh people so many people not being loyal to him or or something like more people on the bad side than the good well i don't think that he'd fear that i mean he either way he'd be fighting voldemort you know i would think that his worst fear would be giving something to voldemort that would endanger his cause like enabling you know what i mean I know what you mean. Does it have to be Voldemort, though? Can it just be well, hate in general? Well, and bad? I would think that would be specifically Voldemort because that's one of uh, one of Dumbledore's purposes. I mean, his he has always been the one to fight Voldemort. And Could Dumbledore have made a mistake that the Jews brought him back to? That 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 is his fear. It's possible, and yeah. I mean, if you listen to, I mean, if you read what was written, some of those quotes were, you know, pretty intense. You would think that maybe he was reliving one of his they worst were times. What if he had something else to do with um, the prophecy and stuff? Because, I mean, we're seeing what Snape did when he heard the prophecy, and we've obviously seen what Voldemort did when he heard the prophecy. But Dumbledore is the one who the prophecy was told to, so what exactly did he do about that? I'm and sure he didn't in... scream, though. <laughs> well, no, but, but book six, book six, um, in book six he tells us that there was like a year or a year and a half, because if Harry was a year old and it said, you know, the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord does, a, like, will approach and will be born in July, that means there was like a year or a year and a half, um before the the night actually happened. So what did Dumbledore do with that knowledge? I mean, you know, he had plenty of time to stop Snape from doing anything. Um, so I'm wondering if he had anything else to do with the night of Harry's parents' murder or something like that that he holds himself responsible yeah, for. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, he's it was a prophecy, and he said that not all prophecies have to come true. Yeah, but it's at only the same time, there's only to. so much you can do to prevent, you know? I think it's... And the more you do try and prevent, the, and the I, more... It... I don't think that Dumbledore is the type of person to blame himself for that. I think I it's think. not really, um... It's not really an if situation with that. I think it was just when. Because, exactly. I mean... As the, you know, they said, as the seventh month dies, well, that could be the seventh month of any year. So, well, I mean... And not to mention, I mean, is that prophecy necessarily a bad prophecy? No. It's a very good prophecy. In terms of someone who's been fighting a war with a wizard that has not been able to have been destroyed, you get this prophecy saying someone is going to come along, a baby, an infant, that is going to be able to destroy Voldemort. Is that necessarily a bad prophecy? Oh, no, it's not. And, That's... I mean, Dumbledore at the t 
time had no idea of the cost of that. He he had no idea that the potters would die in the you know in True. that carrying out. So I don't think that he would be fearful of that or regretful of that in any way. He did everything he could. Well, that I would think that, that it would be point, something. Remember they. Well, I would think it would be something along the lines of him um, and Tom Riddle, where something he did had an effect or put something in Tom Riddle's mind. Sort of like... Um, something like... Uh, sl- the mention of Horcruxes and stuff and the like Horcruxes. that. Exactly. Yeah. My intrigue with that, though, was um, the fact that Sna- uh, Dumbledore was going to be the secret keeper for the Potters... But then James uh, said, no, Dumbledore, let Sirius do it. And then eventually they changed to Pettigrew. Um, that was what I was trying to get at, just because it's an interesting point that Dumbledore could have had an even more important uh, kind of uh, responsibility as far as directly with the Potters hiding um, towards the time of the One death. Thing- and I, don't th- I, I mean, I don't think he regrets that. You're right, Kevin. But I don't know if he had anything else. Another thing I was also thinking is... Um- Remember in the end of, I believe it was book five, when he said that he had failed Harry because he hadn't told him the truth and stuff like that? Yeah. Is it possible that he that was one of his worst moments where he realized that what he was doing was leaving Harry out and it was not the correct thing to do, you know? It was the complete opposite. I, I like that. So that's possible as well. Okay, so I think we killed back. Possibilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- we talked about that as much as we did Draco. So yeah. Next, next voicemail. <laughs> Quick. Practically. Next voicemail. Hey guys, my name is Gia, and I'm listening from Jersey. I wanted to say that your show is awesome, and I got loads of my friends to start listening to it too. My question was about house elves. I forgot where, but I remember that it said in one of the books that house elves have very powerful and unique magical powers. And then, in Half-Blood Prince, it says that if Harry ever needed help, Creature would have to save him. So, I was wondering, if house elves had such powerful magic, what kept them from not using it against their own owners? I'm guessing there's some sort of magical contract, but I wanted to hear what you guys thought. Again, I love your show. I think it's just a lifestyle that they've been... That's all they've ever known, and when when people or creatures in this case are denied a certain knowledge then they're not really going to know that they have that choice really isn't it like a matter of honor i always right once once the house elf becomes connected to a wizard don't like what could happen if they ran away or was that they're really compelled to do it is the thing I think they have. I mean, it's more than just loyalty. I think they they truly, and we've seen when 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 Hermione, I believe in book four with Spew, tries to tell the house elves that they have to be free and they have to ask for. It's insulting. They're completely. They they they. If they're violent people, they would flip out on her because <laughs> it's not. A, it's not just bringing into question what they do because they want. It's bringing into question what they do because they've always done. And I think as a species. House elves have always been, you know, servants of wizards, and I think it's just something that's built in, and I think they really couldn't... I mean, we've seen they could disobey, like Dobby had to go see Harry and warn him, but 
at the same time, I think it's it's like a contract, and it's like kind of like a blood contract. I would say it has something to do with the actual species. Well, well, the thing is, is that I think most house elves enjoy working for their owners. They find and the reason for that is that they were probably raised yeah. to to enjoy exactly. it. Exactly. Not just enjoy <laughs> it, creature. but it doesn't even have to be. You don't. Well, they I don't, don't even think they were raised to know to enjoy it, but they don't they know have anything to do different. It. It's there, right? Yep. Right. They've been brought up in that situation, and now they feel that yeah. it's a matter of honor and dignity to respect your owner and not to harm them in any way. And that's really interesting because we're seeing the complete uh, – I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but the complete example is Creature, because he grew up serving Mrs. Black and, you know, the, the, the noble Black family, and now with Sirius moved in, or rather, you know, Harry as his owner, he is completely flipping out. It's, it, he doesn't want to be any part of it. Yeah. Um, so I guess we've seen that, I mean, house elves probably can't self-annihilate to, an, to a point, but Creature is really like he was brought up not even if it was necessarily to enjoy working for the blacks. He did enjoy working for the blacks, and now he's completely not enjoying working for Harry or Sirius the Blood Trader, you know? So they really adapt They really adopt their owner's morals, too, I think. But it's something Creature has to do. He doesn't have a choice, which is yeah. kind of goes back to the question. Which is another thing. Yeah, so does. there has to be something there that forces them to almost be subservient to these people. You know what? That's true too. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That made me think of the ministry, actually. I'm sure there's some kind of magical contract connected to it. Dep- you know, depending on the family that you're born into. I think there's. And house elves are house elves. They're elves. They're not humans. So yeah. they have a completely different mindset on everything in the first place. And yeah. didn't in it was like in Chamber of Secrets that Ron said Mrs. Weasley had always wanted one, but they only came with large manners and stuff. Something like that. That's interesting. Uh, Buy a large manor and you get a free house elf. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm wondering if it's... I mean, if is it not so much the family as it is the house? That's, that's cool. That's a good question. That's... Well, that's the bigger Another the house or the, more, be, the older um, the house or the... I would think the older. Yeah, probably. That's it. No, but remember, it does say the noble and most ancient house of house of black... It is the house of Black, so it is the Black House, but is it also the family? And, you know, he is very loyal to the family, but there also is... There's a big connection, I think, between the family and the actual house they live yeah, in. Yeah, I think yeah. families of power. If you look at all the house elves, they've all come from families of power in the magical world, don't you think? Yeah. Hi, MuggleCast. I have to say I love your show, and it's great. I'm Ivy from Sydney in Australia. I read somewhere that Tonks Patronus turned into a werewolf in the sixth book, but I'm not 100% sure that it was true information. I was wondering what you guys thought about Tonks Patronus. In the book, it just stated that it was a four-legged thing. So what do you think that the Patronus turned into? Thanks and bye. I thought we knew. Isn't it a werewolf because of Remus? (laughs) Um, it's, It's implied as Lupin. It's an... I didn't really get that, though. I didn't get that whole point of book six to establish... All it did was depress me all the, all the time, <laughs> talking about Tonks and how Harry thought she was upset about Sirius and, you know, later found out it was Lupin. I didn't get that. It was, it was 
like depressing. I don't know exactly what we learned besides the fact that Patronuses can change well, if you are I think it was just the subplot of of their romance because I mean we saw that Remus didn't want to be with her because he thought he was too old. And those are the reasons he gave though. Yeah, and also I mean I think that the war has a lot to do with it. But girls are very ultra sensitive and they go all weird. No offense. Any everyone. This is Laura yeah, Thompson I'm, confirming I'm that this. girls go weird. <laughs> I am girls gone this. weird. <laughs> so if you want to like wow. email me and yell, that's fine. We have a girl who will admit it. <laughs> but okay, they Laura, they awesome. go wacko, and um, it's really I, I understood it. I can't. <laughs> they go wacko. <laughs> I can't explain it, but I understood where she was coming from and why. Just believe me. Trust me on this one. So if you uh, trust it. Yeah, so um, basically uh, no, we okay, already knew okay. what it was. Yeah. Kind of in a, yeah, we well, kind of guess. we know what it was, we, we know what it became. Yeah, which is an important point, Micah, because as you said, you just read, I mean, you just read Half-Blood Prince a second time, and you said that Snape never said, we did hear it from Snape. We weren't introduced to Tonks' Patronus, as far as I know, um, before book six, and when... And Snape did reference it, but he didn't tell what it was. He just told Tonks, "What was it that the other one?" Was, he said the, the, the new the one's new weaker. one. Yeah, he said exactly the new one looks weak. That he, he thought that she was better off with the old one, but mm-hmm. again, we don't know what the old one was. But he didn't say what. Uh, the question is, what was the old one? No one knows. Because they're supposed. Aren't they supposed to? Aren't the Patronuses supposed to mean like be who you are, and and represent who you are? Like Harry is his father and stuff like that. So for that to change, for for Tonks to suddenly be Lupin now or something, mm. I don't know. Next, next. <laughs> okay, the next. Let's one. all take a break. Everyone distract. <laughs> Let's go take a nap. Yawn break. We're almost done, guys. Everyone take a deep done. breath right now. <sighs> Seventy thousand people on this earth. Just all took in oxygen, and now we are all out of oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> this wow. world is poisoned with carbon dioxide. We are all dead. <laughs> that would be an interesting episode of, like, Twilight Zone or something. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's stay on topic there. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Oh. I don't want to get off topic. That's never happened. It's never. No comment. Hey, guys, this is Rachel from Phoenix, Arizona. And my question is, if Veritas Serum makes you tell the truth without being able to not tell the truth, I guess, <laughs> um, why don't they give it to everyone they're going to put on trial to see if they really did it? Thanks, guys. Love the show. Bye. Mika, do you want to... Uh, <laughs> Micah. <laughs> Micah! I always mispronounce... Oh, I feel bad. Micah. Well, this is this is... Oh, did Mike have something to say? Well, actually, it's been already answered. He pointed it out. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was just looking at that. JKRowling.com. It's the first yeah. question on our frequently asked questions. So, Come on, guys. Yeah. Before you send us voicemails, are you trying to play us? Are you trying to catch us? <laughs> if we if learned Micah hadn't caught this... A few couple of episodes ago. Should I just... So yeah, let's if just, Micah hadn't caught this, we would have been in... Let, <laughs> let's, let's just read it real quick. Veritas Serum works best upon the unsuspecting, the vulnerable, and those insufficiently skilled to protect themselves against it. 
So basically speaking, um, people can resist the the Veritaserum potion, and very strong wizards uh, can uh, do a number of things that JKR gives us as examples to prevent it from actually affecting them. So then it would be a matter of the weaker uh, people always getting caught and getting thrown in to prison instead of... Um, instead of the the powerful people who probably should be caught and who are more dangerous. Right, the reason why she said it works on Barty Crouch is because he had just been attacked right before it was given to him, so he was in a more vulnerable state. Okay. So that, did we answer that voicemail? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's basically yeah. it. The okay. reason why they don't do it is because they're not unsuspecting. They know that they're drinking Verda serum, and it would make it so that they could just, you know go against the effects. I'll post the link in the transcript yeah, they, right to jkrolling.com. Yeah. About that. They're trying to make sure we're on our toes here. Make sure yeah. we know our stuff. Okay. Right. Hi, this is Peter from Boston. In the first book, a friend saves Harry uh, from Quirrell in the Forbidden Forest, and friend says something on the lines of, uh, good luck, Harry Potter. Uh, the planets have been read wrong before, even by Santors. I hope this is one of those times. Do you think he's hoping that the plans are read wrong, so there's not a huge war coming, which they talk about, or that because he doesn't want Harry to die. I mean, he saved Harry that night. Obviously, he wants to protect Harry. So, do you think it's the planets are saying that there's going to be a war, or that it's going to be a war and Harry's going to die? I think that maybe it was um, written in the stars that Harry was supposed to die that night in the forest. I think that friends probably saved him from Voldemort. So, so you think that it's like current, like? He was referring to the current state. Yeah, I think I really think it was because, I mean, if you really go back and read that conversation, they're basically saying, the other centaurs are basically saying, you know, leave it alone, let what's supposed to happen happen, and, well, friends saved Harry, so I really think that Harry might and have died that night. Yeah, they were really... They yeah. were t- you know what? That's brilliant. So by them saying Mars is bright tonight, they're actually taunting Harry, <laughs> telling him that there's going to be a big war. That You're gonna night die, and that going to die, by the way, and die. You're going to Mars. You're going to die. Mars is bright tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't know that. Yeah. So, so, so you think it was current and not, uh, not well. Another thing, foreshadowing at Kevin, all. Kevin, Kevin, I have to bring been, something up. But... Current. Uh oh. Yeah, time is circular. Up. What? Kevin, uh, time is circular. Time is time is circular, uh, especially in the Harry Potter novels. Time has become circular, and so the fact that it's a current event doesn't have anything to do with it. Maybe you know the stars could actually tell people what happened in Harry's past life when the same thing happened. You know what I'm saying? But you know they can interpret it to mean current things. So I, I don't know that it was actually the stars. I mean it was, but they used the stars to read current events and. Well, it and it does have a bearing on the future because if Harry died, then they would be kind of in trouble. And it's interesting because <laughs> Ferenz prevented him from dying that night. So does that mean that Ferenz figured he he wasn't meant to die, or just wasn't meant to die then? That is a good point, right there. Well, it's like asking how many licks does it take to get this. <laughs> well, no, we'll no. Let's see. Have I have an a tootsie. Answer. No, Andrew, I have a tootsie pop right here. Okay. One. Uh, okay, <laughs> we don't. Want. One. No, no. One. Now tootsie pop two, owes us for the plug. Three. This podcast is gonna last all day. It, it takes it? three. <laughs> and Andrew takes uh, three. Okay. Onward. Three. <laughs> it, well. To be honest, I didn't think of that statement as a uh, current event. 
I thought it as him foretelling the future. And he was referring to the reappearance of Voldemort, and in this case, I believe he was referring to the war. Like, bad events are going mm-hmm. to happen. Not maybe specifically a war, but something bad is going to happen. Well, I think that that kind of relates. I think it probably, it might be a little bit of both because they're looking at the stars and they're seeing, oh, these bad things are going to happen. For all we know, if Harry had died that night, worse things probably would have happened. And I think by friends saving Harry, he probably prevented a whole bunch of other things that would have happened to the wizarding world had Harry died that night. What I what I can focus on now is the uh, the thing Ferenz said about they've been read wrong before that the stars have read wrong before. I think that shows an uh, a necessary point or a part of the centaurs in that they aren't always accurate. They aren't perfectly accurate, and that even their brand of fortune telling, even though they know you know they they call Trelawney a kook, and you know everybody knows Trelawney isn't always accurate or is rather only accurate when she's doing prophecies. The um, the the whole fortune telling thing it's it shows a human part of centaurs in that they're not always accurate and that you know whatever can be predicted it still has to happen for it to be set in stone and to have happened. Right. Maybe Ferenz just needs yeah. a new telescope. Oh. Maybe it was cloudy the night he looked at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe, Micah. Like it's smeared. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Clean your telescope. He missed the. Okay. Planet. Next voicemail. Hey, Mulganet. This is Griffin from Chicago. I love the show. In the fourth movie coming out, it seems like the movie has portrayed Durmstrang as an all-boys school and Beauvaton as an all-girls school. I never got this impression from the book. What do you guys think? Do you think J.K. Rowling meant it this way? Thanks. I, I like the question. I like the question a lot. Um, And it's interesting because I think even in the books, um, yes, they did seem like all the I don't know, just the impression that we got that I got from uh hearing about Fleur and her being Vila. I, I, I think that there are, you know, a lot more Vila towards the French area. Um or in that so that I think yeah, there probably are a lot of Vila or or just beautiful girls uh at Bobaton. So I really thought now I, I don't know if they they do mention guys and girls, but you kinda get the sense that they are boys and girls schools with Karkaroff, you know, being the headmaster of the all guys school if it is, and, you know, Madame Maxime being the headmistress of the all girls school if it is. But I don't think it is uh an all girl or an all boys school in the way that because they do still have to cover a geographic region. Um and as Jamie was saying, I when Jamie was on a few weeks ago with um, us, we were talking about schools. I forget exactly what episode it is. It's been too long. But he talked about, you know, we don't know that many wizarding schools in the in the area. So Durmstrang is probably and, – and Hermione Hermione has actually backed this up, that Durmstrang is only – you know, Durmstrang is the German school and Bobatons is the French school. So I don't think it's practical that they're all girls or all boys because they have to cover that entire region. Um, I I really don't think they are because in book four it talks about the Yule Ball. Um, it specifically states that Parvati went to go dance with a boy from Bobatons. It's Bobatons, right? Oh, yeah. okay. That's that's it. That's thank you, Laura. <laughs> but do you think that? Yes. Uh, why do you think they try to portray it like that in the movie? Yeah, I think that they're trying to put across more of the. Um, 
sexual tensions in growing up type thing, really. <laughs> Honestly. When you look at it, especially since they're portraying um, the Bogotans that... as being all Vila. I mean, I don't really think they were in the books. I think that it was mainly Floor. There might have been That's a couple true. more, but I really don't think they all were in the book. That is a good point. Yeah. So that whole, it's all, I guess, confusion from uh, what we've seen in the movie and their entrance and yeah. stuff that it really it really does seem like, you know, all girls... And, and all honestly, it probably makes it easier for the movie just because they're trying not only to appeal to people who read the books, but they're trying to appeal to people who are just fans of the movies, so... Oh, probably. And even the, in the costume designer sense, you know, you just get blue and make a bunch of, you know, dresses or whatever for it, and then yeah. you take the brown and you make, you know, so in, instead of getting, you know, all sorts of, I don't know. <laughs> but it's it's easier and, for I mean, people. We've only seen so many clips. Yeah. Which is so true. There's there might still be the there... possibility that the entrance, the grand entrance, was just featuring the girls. Yeah, it's true. That's and maybe true. there are later, yeah, we might later see that. Well, I think it'd be cool if there's like only one guy Except- who, who comes out of the uh, comes out of the, sh- <laughs> the horse carriage, like one guy, and he's he's standing there and he's like, yeah. Well, All didn't right. in the trailer yeah. there, Dumbledore said, "Welcome the lovely ladies of of Bobatons." Oh, he that's true. He did. Yeah. So it kind of implies it. So I don't know what the deal with the movie is. You know but- what I think it was? Warner Brothers saw it as a plot opportunity to add a little bit of extra. You know what I think it was? WB saw it as an area where they can improve the plot by keeping Durmstrang boys only and Bo Baxton's girls only so that people who come in and see the movie say the girls will cheer on the Bo Baxton's and the guys will cheer on Durmstrang. So that way there's a little bit of more like competitiveness where a group of friends go in and see the movie and the guys are saying, oh, go Durmstrang. And the girls come in and they say, oh, go Bo Baxton's. So that way it makes the movie a little bit more fun and interactive to watch. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up episode 11 of MuggleCast. This was an extended show, it seems like. Well, at least the unedited show is. <laughs> I don't know what the final one will be. Um, so, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Kevin Steck. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Micah the Transcriber. <laughs> Micah the Transcriber, thanks for joining us this week. I'm glad you refused to leave and then forced <laughs> us to have you as a co-host. So next week, we will be bringing you our first place winner from our Voldemort contest. And also, we might have another contest announcement. <laughs> wink. Wink. We leave you now with two remixes that were sent in for my listener challenge of the week. And we'll see you next week for episode 12. Goodbye. Bye. 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 This is Bookcast. Welcome back, welcome back, back to Mugglecast. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Kevin. I'm Kevin. Oh, well done. Uh, well done. Uh, Mike is a feisty. No, 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 no,
MuggleCast. This is MuggleCast. 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 Podcast. What is up with those effects? Woo! Muggle-leaky pot chamber cast. Benjamin, haven't you heard of speed readers, laddie? What? I'm sorry, I just woke up. I'm tired. (laughs) Woo! Woo! No! I think, I think no, no! Woo! I mean, yes, 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 but no, 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 no. Have Dudley Woo! sit on him. Have, have, have Dudley sit on him. Woo! Dude, that's not funny. Have Dudley sit on him. Woo! Dude, that's not funny. Woo! Don't worry, I won't break out singing Frank Sinatra. Muggle leaky pot chamber cast muggle. Muggle cast. Only one will reach eternal glory, 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 glory. Hi, my name is Tyler, and I'm the host of the Daily Quibbler On Air, which is a podcast all on Harry Potter that can be found on iTunes. I was inspired to do this by your wonderful work. Once I heard about MuggleCast on MuggleNet, I listened to it and loved it and knew that I had to make my own, which I did, and I wanted to just thank you for your wonderful podcast, and it has inspired me to make my own. Check it out. Thank you. MuggleCast rocks. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say. I especially love Spy on Sparks and some other bits. Bye. Do you like this soothing music? Would you like to hear your voice at the end of an upcoming episode of MuggleCast? Would you like to plug your show for absolutely nothing? If so, please send your audio comment to voice at staff.mugglenet.com. Please put comment in the subject line. Thank you. That's questionable. Andrew? Andrew? <laughs> Andrew. Andrew, are you alive? Dead. Andrew. <laughs> I think we're gonna we're gonna have to end the he's, show. He's had a uh, heart attack, <laughs> and we are going to uh, be calling nine one one right just now. Asleep. <laughs> Let's Skype out nine one one. Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> Andrew. Is he still in the conversation? Yeah, he's Andrew. check his check his pulse. We're all at the computer. <laughs> yeah, we're pulse. all we all flew out for the weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah so let's <laughs> check his pulse. Who wants to do it? Who wants to give him mouth? Uh, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, go ahead, Eric. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Don't, why do I always get stuck doing this stuff? <laughs> so, um, where's Andrew? <laughs> I Shall don't I know. I am certified in in. I am certified in first aid, though, so I, I can. So, so since we're Let's all sitting here, around second. Andrew's desk, no, he'll be okay. Let's just leave him there because no, <laughs> we'll leave him there because then if Muggle, if Mugglecast is late, blame it on One the fact that Andrew is on his. Let's call Andrew. Don't want to call him. <laughs> <laughs>